Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. There's too many other things that I feel like are necessary for me to share with the world. This was finally the way I could reach them through the internet. My family, we weren't well-to-do or anything like that. I couldn't really collect things. I didn't have a lot of toys or anything. But I had a pair of scissors and we got the newspaper. I would cut stuff out of the newspaper and I kept it in a bread bag. You were talking earlier about how you're making all these videos, but you know, YouTube wouldn't exist for a couple of decades. And it's like, who does that? I wonder how many other people were YouTubers 25 years before YouTube existed. You have this library of Alexandria that you can pull any fact of your life out of on a whim. I hear a lot of people of my generation, I'm over 50 now, people say, oh, the internet is terrible. I'm going to go back to before the internet. Yeah, but look at all the stuff that you're going to lose if you go back to when it was before the internet. Hey, welcome to the Create Unknown, the home of Make Something Mean Something. We're here on a special TCU Tuesday night with a bunch of our patrons, some lurkers for our guest, and uh, a bit of a milestone on Vsauce 2 to shout out. And with me, as always, to do that is Matthew Tabor. You, you did hit a milestone, didn't you? You hit a subscriber milestone. Uh, a lot of fours are involved. 4,444,444. It seems like, you know, milestones are kind of arbitrary anyway. Might as well make it a fun one. I like the fours. It, yeah. it looks symmetrical and interesting. It's nice. It's a palindrome, you know, and it's more significant to me than a million because to get the next one, you're going to need that 1,111,000, et cetera, et cetera, like to get, to get the, the quints. To get the fives. Yeah. And you don't um, get anything for fives. There's no five million play button. No. There's nothing that no one cares. No one is interested no one in five that. million. It is. It's a dud. It's a dud of a milestone. <laughs> but you know what's crazy is as we're recording this episode, you're going to hit another one with the 700 millionth view. So congratulations on that. That's a lot of that's a lot of watch time over the years. It's a big deal. Yes, it's a lot of my life for a lot of other people's entertainment, and I thank them, as always, for watching. But we have somebody who has spent a lifetime creating tons and tons of content for a lot of people to watch, and someone we've been talking about for a long time to have on this show, and it's finally Years. occurring right now. Yep. Uh, and there's, there's a third Kevin Milestone, by the way, that, that does relate to our guest. 
uh, 11 years ago today, December 7th, 2010. Kevin created the YouTube channel Vsauce 2, but by the time he hit the Create Channel button, our guest tonight had already been vlogging for over 25 years, having started recording himself in the 80s using a home camera, and he's still got all the tapes. Weird Paul Petrosky came to me through an old long-term relationship. He was the only good thing to come out of it. Uh, maybe six years ago, a regrettable ex watched a beauty haul video on my YouTube account, and it murdered my suggested video's algorithm. But it did toss me a thrift store haul video from the man who would win 2017's best hair title in the city of Pittsburgh. I watched one, and I binged about 20 more, and I've probably seen about half of Paul's 1,100 YouTube videos. His latest thrift store haul included bandages covered with the poop emoji, an album from the Scorpions, and a Wampa figure from The Empire Strikes Back. But Paul really is a musician, though, and he's written over 700 songs and put out over 50 albums, all with a distinctly lo-fi vibe. He got to start with Weird Al-style song parodies. Nearly 35 years ago, he released the cassette tape In Case of Fire, Throw This In. He just hasn't stopped. He's mixed music with YouTube to make singularly memorable videos like This Guy's Got a Bone Disease and Peanut Butter Recall. Uh, but one of his most popular is one of his shortest. It's a, a six-second Vine sensation that parodies Footloose, except, of course, it is Everybody Cut Fart Loose, Fart Loose, Let Out Your Asshole Juice. <laughs> the documentary will work for... V. <laughs> I thought I could get through it, and I can't. Oh, God. The documentary Will Work for Views, The Lo-Fi Life of Weird Paul, allows you to spend 86 minutes in his life, and it was quite well received. Kevin and I watched it the weekend it came out, and it reveals what it's like to spend decades grinding on art, something we're in the 121st episode of Talking About, with an immensely talented musician, collector-slash-archivist, and humorist. Uh, we've talked quite a bit lately about obsession. So we want to start with, with the collections. Paul, you collect a lot of stuff. Is there anything that you collect that you yourself think is weird? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, a, a good portion of the stuff I collect, I think is weird because if, if, if I know that not many other people are collecting whatever it is, then I think it's a strange thing to collect. If, if I'm one of the, you know, if I'm, I'm, I'm one of the people collecting most mostly collecting it, then I think that it's weird. Is there something that you think you're the only collector of? The only collector of? Well, I mean... We're, we're close to it. Yeah, that's unlikely. But yeah, close to it. I mean, um, I, I collect other people's old expired IDs. Uh, you know, like... What? Yeah. How do you get a hold of those? <laughs> oh, you know, I, I find them at the thrift store. I find them at the thrift store. Really? Yeah. Wait, you'd why? Be <laughs> you'd be surprised. So For sale? Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, we're not just talking about old driver's license. I've got like old people's old like hospital IDs and like student IDs and stuff like that. So, you know, when I get with sometimes maybe five at night when I'm feeling a little lonely, I'll get those out and read them. So. <laughs> just paw through them. How yeah. much does an old student ID go for yeah. at the thrift shop? Yeah. Oh, Are we talking a uh, dollar, 25 cents, five yeah, cents? Yeah. Neg it's negligible. Yeah. A penny. That's what I was thinking. Like, what price Pennies do on we the put dollar, on an identity? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you live your whole life just for Weird Paul Petrosky <laughs> to trade a dime for your entire identity. That's wow. right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sorry, sorry, everybody. How many IDs do you? 
how many IDs do you think you have at this point? Oh, I don't know. I'm not that many. I mean, it's not something I find all the time or anything like that, but I certainly grab it every time I see one. So like, you know, maybe 25 or something. But I mean, I have the like the fake McLovin ID too, you know, all that stuff. Any anything, <laughs> anything I see. The uh, um, the uh, what's it uh, from the fifth element? I can't remember um, the main character's name. That's like the oh. the multi pass. I have her multi pass. Right. So I Lilo, collect the Lilo. Yeah, Lilo, something. the Lilo multi pass. So I collect the actual IDs and the fictional IDs. <laughs> I'm I'm obsessed with this ID thing. I wonder uh, under which circumstances people are donating those. Do you think that it just gets like tossed in a bag and yeah, at some exactly. point accidentally ends up there and That's the people exactly who work there? It it's yeah. remarkable to me that they don't throw them away. They're just like, yep, let's display these because at some point Paul's yeah. coming in. He's going to he's going to be excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's like it's the like uh, messy thrift stores you find that stuff at. It's not like mm-hmm. Not like the ups, not the upscale ones, <laughs> the bougie, the bougie thrift stores. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. You know, I did a video years ago about collecting, just like the human, the human interest and instinct to collect, why people collect. And it was partly due to the fact that I had this opportunity to work with the Metropolitan Museum in New York to highlight this collection by this guy named Jefferson Burdick. Now, Jefferson Burdick had the greatest uh, picture card collection but but that includes baseball cards that includes postcards i mean anything yeah, yeah. that was an image that was on a piece of paper i mean anything this guy collected he literally wanted it all he invented this system for identifying the sets of of tobacco cards so uh, it, wow. sometimes you'll see a baseball card that's listed as something like t206 well you know, he's the guy who sat down and and thought, well, we're going to call it T to indicate that it's from the 20th century. You know, <laughs> wow. just he invented it uh, yeah. the way the, the Dewey Decimal System worked for books. Like he, he was the OG on printed cards. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was an amazing thing because uh, my, my point in bringing him up was that he was collecting this stuff when nobody wanted it. No one, no one wanted this stuff. Yeah. These tobacco cards that like came for free and like a, a pouch of snuff or whatever. Um, yeah. it, they, they would just get thrown away. And this guy was like, I want all of these things. And he ended up amassing one of the most incredible collections ever that literally is now priceless. in. Yeah, it's a priceless yeah. collection in a museum. So it's funny to think about, you know, we laugh a little bit about collecting photo IDs, but it's like, that's a very real thing that will be extremely interesting, probably uh, 50 to 100 years ago to see what those were like. Like, that's not a joke at, at all, actually. The, uh, the archiving that is actually extremely interesting. Yeah, and perhaps in, one, in, in time, there will be no such thing as a physical uh, ID of any sort. So That's true. Yeah. yeah. I think we're approaching that time. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. You'll just wave, uh, wave your hand under the scanner. Mm. So your embedded chip will (laughs) bring up a picture of you. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Some sort of facial scan, but, but what, what made you decide not only to, to collect these things, but then to make videos about them and going through them and stuff like that? Cause you've been doing that forever. I've always been, you know, collecting things and archiving things since I was just a kid. Basically, I I feel like in another life, I would just be an archivist. It's 
I guess it's something that I, I find really interesting and that I've always wanted to do. But, you know, that's not where my life has taken me. There's too many other things that I feel like are necessary for me to share with the world. I don't have time to just sit around archiving things. It's, it's just not enough time in life for everything for, that I would like to do. So um, I totally already forgot the question. What was it? Oh, just what made you start doing videos <laughs> about them oh, and right. like, to like show them off? Not only because you're not just like, you know, it's not like Gollum's precious sure. and you just sit in the corner in the dark, like like ogling your <laughs> ring. You're right. like sharing it with the world. <laughs> right. That's a much different experience. Sure. Now I understand. Um, yeah. W well, I, I've always wanted to show people the things that I find interesting because I feel like a lot of the stuff that I find interesting is not stuff that has very much visibility in the world. Even in this age of the internet, there are so many things that I have managed to hold on to from so long ago that don't have any kind of web presence. You know, it just doesn't exist. I'll Google something and I can't find it. It's not here. And so I, I have this stuff that I want people to know that it exists and that it's cool and maybe even important in some way. And I've kind of, up until I got on YouTube, there was no way for me to reach anybody and share that with. I didn't really have any friends and the friends I did have were not interested in that. You know, there was other stuff we had in common, but they, they were like, no, Paul, I, I don't care about that. I don't, I don't want to see that. I, I don't want to learn about that. But I found that there are people out there, but I, you know, this was finally the way I could reach them was through the internet. And I'd be able to finally share things and show people the knowledge that I had, whatever little bit of knowledge it is about things that there's just not much online about so it's important to me this is the thing this is the thing that i find to be completely remarkable about about you is that uh what you just said people want to want to do a thing and share it with the world and they want to find uh the new friends who are into their their niche or they want to make you know math videos or uh they want to make a song they want to do all these things share it with the world yeah so that's that's totally viable now. That makes a lot of sense now. But uh, 35 years ago, the mechanism did not exist at all. Yet here you are making videos uh, that are roughly the same that, that as, as what you make now. You know, it's the same style of content that that it would have been cool for all these people in the world to see. But there was literally no mechanism for anybody to see it. But right. you still did it. So what were... I mean, how did this, how did it begin? Really? That's what I'm getting at is how did you decide I, in, in the eighties to, to get a camera, to turn that camera on and document the things that you documented? Okay. Well, 1984 is when my family got the camera, but we have to go back 10 years before that really is where it started. So around 1974, my dad got, uh, a, one of those console things that is a console stereo so it had a record player in it had a, the radio yeah. in it yeah. it took up like half of the living room right it had an eight-track player in it but it, <laughs> what it also had in it was an eight-track recorder not everybody had oh, that wow. so he would buy yeah. blank eight tracks and plug a microphone in and we would talk and record our voices with the eight track so that was my first exposure to being able to listen back to stuff that i said and that other people said and that was my first exposure mm -hmm. to being able to archive memories. What did, uh, I, I mean, it, it must've been your dad's idea to, to do this. Uh, if, if you were that young, what, what did you talk about with him? Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I haven't heard the tape in a long time. I'm not even sure if it still exists, 
But I remember he, he I talked about what cartoon I was going to watch the next day, which was Scooby-Doo. And uh, he, <laughs> we talked about the toy that I really wanted, which was the Weeble's Haunted House. So, you know, I was talking about <laughs> pop culture stuff. That's what I was talking about even then. So it, it took a few more years before that technology kind of ran out and my dad bought a cassette recorder. And this was the point where I, I came into it because at that point you could get cassettes a little bit cheaper than recording medium before that, even eight tracks. It was kind of expensive. So it wasn't something we did all the time, but now I could actually have cassettes. My dad would give me some, and then I could sit down and record myself. So I would record myself talking, singing, making little radio plays. I would tape stuff off the television onto the tape recorder and sometimes even interact with what was going on on the TV. So if somebody on the TV said something, oh, then I'd talk yeah. back to them, do the next line, I'd make something up. Or if there was a song on the TV, after they sang their line, I'd sing up some nonsense line after what they said so I could help them finish So you the invented song. TikTok duets. You invented TikTok duets 40 years ago is what you're <laughs> in, in, in an audio form, yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally. But the great thing is I still have all these tapes from over 40 years ago that I made. So I have yeah. all this untapped content still that people haven't even heard yet. But uh, that was my, my start in the whole thing. So I had, you know, I had a lot of experience with that before we got the video camera. So it was really just an extension for me of what I'd already been doing. Except now I had video, too. I mean, I was really excited. I wanted to get a camera. I, I, would, I was vocal about telling my parents, we need to get a camera. It was just expensive at the time. It was very expensive. You know, my parents had to oh, yeah. really save up to get that. But there were things that I saw that inspired me to want to make video content. Because like you said, there's no medium back then for sharing it. But on television, mm -hmm. I saw people making home movies and they got their home movies showed on TV. One of the things I saw was a TV special in early 1984, and it was called the Homemade Comedy Special. And it was hosted by Michael J. Fox and Angie Dickinson. And they had asked people around the country to mail in videos that they made at home with their cameras, and they showed them on television. So this was before America's Funniest Home Videos. It was just, it was like a trial run for that, basically. So I saw that and I was like, wow, what if I could get something that I made on TV? These people did it. They're just people around the country, just like me, except I'm a lot younger. But, you know, I, I that was very influential on me. In so far as I even tried to mimic the stuff I saw on that show on my parents' camera. You know, that was just the hugest influence on me watching that show and seeing that, that there were people making comedy and making music videos with their own camera in their own home. I didn't know this existed. It's on Charles YouTube. Khan yep. just threw. Yeah, yeah. He just put the link Charles did in uh, uh, the episode chat. Um, Check it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely want to watch this because I had no idea that even existed. I thought you were going to say something like I turned on public access and, and they played people's tapes that they sent. In I wish we had, no. we didn't have cable until I was much, <laughs> much older. I had that, no exposure at all to that kind of thing. I had no idea that there were, was a precursor to America's Funniest Home Videos. I thought yeah. that was that was the beginning of that whole thing, but clearly not. They, they were riding the coattails of the, Michael J. Fox and Angie Dickinson. Yeah, this isn't so much Michael fails, though. It's not like a fail comp <laughs> like America's Funniest Home Videos ended up being. Yeah. So, but well, it, it's it, it's amazing to, to me hearing you talk about, there's like a, a through line to all of this, which is this archiving passion. Yeah. It's like whether it is toys or photo IDs or your voice or your face or music or whatever, it's all kind of under the same umbrella, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, when I was real little and we're talking toddler, as soon as I could use a pair of scissors, 
I was cutting stuff out of the newspaper. My family, we, we weren't well-to-do or anything like that. But, we, you know, so there wasn't a lot of ways for me to archive anything. I couldn't really collect things. I didn't have a lot of toys or anything. But I had a pair of scissors and we got the newspaper. So I, I would cut stuff out of the newspaper and I kept it in a bread bag. These clippings that I'd clip out of the newspaper, I, I kept in a, an empty um, bread bag after we ate the bread out of it. So that was my first collection that I had. I wish I still had that so I could see what it actually looks like now. <laughs> but that was something that got lost when we moved. But that, yeah, I mean, literally, since I was able to actually uh, be able to collect things, I was collecting. Wow. The thing that, that strikes me is that this is twofold. So uh, so you had this inspiration to, to do a thing, and it, it turned into being a lot of different things. Yeah. Uh, you know, music and sometimes you're just talking about, about things, you know, so, um, just, just all sorts of videos, but you have it all aside from this bread bag full of newspaper <laughs> clippings. <laughs> you have, so, so let's say you have 99.7% of all of it. And th I think that's, that's almost its own thing is to decide, uh, I really need to keep all of this. I, I mean, what, what, what drives you to to maintain all of it? I, well, I think now one of the things that drives me to maintain it is how much I got rid of. <laughs> so everybody thinks I kept everything. I and mean, literally, I hear that all the time. It's not that I kept everything. It's that I kept more than you did. You, you kept almost nothing <laughs> or you kept absolutely nothing or your parents threw out everything. All right. That's, that's why you think I kept everything. But it, literally, I would go on binges back in the mid 80s when I was a teenager. Uh, when my late teens, I would just go on binges throwing away stuff that I had saved. And now I really regret it because that was like the really rare stuff that you'll never see again. Like for, for instance, back in the early 80s, every day in the newspaper for a week, they had like a, a page ad saying National Pac-Man Day is coming up. And I threw them all away except the one that said today is National Pac-Man Day. I mean, I could have had seven of these, but now I only have one. So that's the kind of stuff you're never going to see again, you know, and I, I regret it now, but, um, that's one reason now I think it's, I'm, I'm so steadfast about it. It's like, oh, I, if I see something and this has happened, I've gone to the thrift store and seen something that I threw out when I was a teenager. And then I, and I buy it because I'm like, oh, I can't believe it. I'm getting this thing back. One of the things was in the comic section in 1980 in our local paper, and I live in Pittsburgh, so the Steelers were in the Super Bowl, they had a full-page caricature of each Steeler player. And that happened every Sunday for weeks. And I saved all those, and I threw them out. I found them at the thrift store. Somebody had gotten rid of them who had saved them about two years ago, and I bought them. because I said, I can't believe it. I, I thought that these were out of my life forever. So I'm, I'm trying, if I could replace all of this stuff that I lost, I would. But... What? What a, sorry, what an amazing coincidence that someone else also kept those <laughs> Steelers characters Only and here, then yeah. you found it and then were, were, was able to I, re recollect it. I live a charmed life. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. You didn't get rid of any recorded stuff, though, did you? It seems like you kept everything that, uh, I wish. that was audio or video. I wish. Oh, no, you did get rid of something? Well, here's the thing. Tapes were very uh, still not within my budget when I was younger. Yeah. So they were expensive until until they were obsolete. Really. Yeah. So, no, they weren't cheap. So, I mean, I did often record over what I'd already recorded. Mm -hmm. And I even have mm -hmm. I would make a little guide to the cassette I made. 
when I was a kid. So I'd make a list of everything that was on the tape, me talking about my, my birthday, talking to my grandfather, whatever. It was all on the list. Now I can look at those lists and some of the stuff on the list doesn't exist anymore because I taped over it, but I needed the tape for something else. And the same thing happened with videotapes. We'd make a music video and then I would say, we're going to tape over that and make this other video. So there's one on YouTube like that's me playing with my Star Wars figures in 1984. And it, it goes for a couple seconds and then it, you know, then it, you see a bunch of lines because I taped over about three minutes of it with something else. And then it comes back to me playing with them again for a yeah. few more minutes. So I wish I hadn't done that. But again, it was, you know, what's more important? What, what, do, I, what do I sacrifice for something that I think is more important at the time? Mm -hmm. At the time it was. Now, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, uh, when I was a kid, the, the, be the whole meme was, you know, from my parents was that their parents threw away their baseball cards. Mm. That was the thing that that generation always lamented because they were always like, I had this Mickey Mantle rookie card and oh, I yeah. had this and I had that. We had so many baseball cards. My mom threw them out for, for me personally. Uh, it wasn't baseball cards because those aren't worth squat. I still have so, a lot of baseball cards. They're worth nothing. Yeah, but from, you know what's worth era, a lot? Uh, my, my, yeah. <laughs> my mom threw away or my my NES boxes. Oh, like the no. boxes that the NES games came in. Yeah. My dad saved them for years because he's like, you got to save these. These are going to be worth money. You got to save them. Wow. And then at some at some point, I don't know when, probably 15 years ago, my mom was like, what are we holding on to these for? <laughs> I just threw them out oh, and that was it. No. And, and quite literally, they're worth like thousands of dollars yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my parents never really threw any of my stuff out. I was a real lucky kid because all I ever heard were horror stories That's from cool. everybody else. I got to choose what I wanted to keep and what I didn't want to keep. It was in my own hands. And we still have all the Atari cartridge boxes because that's what it was when I was growing up. It was all about the Atari. But we mm. mangled them. I mean, we never thought, we never thought, oh, we're <laughs> going to keep these. They're worth money. I mean, we, you know, they're all wrinkled up like somebody like balled them up in their hand or something. I mean, they're destroyed. Mm -hmm. We still have them. How do you even do that? What are you doing with an empty <laughs> cartridge box? <laughs> sitting on it? Probably sitting, probably sitting on it. <laughs> farting into it i don't know what who knows what we did you know yeah wrestling on it oh i remember we um. made I, we have a video we made a video where we piled them all up on a table and then we shook the table and they all went flying everywhere so we were doing we did, we did all kinds of stuff to them yeah it was in service of art yeah though. oh absolutely so so that's the yeah. excuse that, that you've got to you gotta tell yourself that part <laughs> so um I actually know when you were talking earlier about how you're making all these videos, but you know, YouTube wouldn't exist for, for a couple of decades. Um, there's a YouTuber named Spida one who I've watched for years who makes turbo graphics 16 reviews. Wow. And just this, just this year, I believe it was this year. He finally finished reviewing literally every single Turbo Graphics 16 game. He did a video on every single game. Mm -hmm. uh, but what he did that I found fascinating was that he was doing this in like 1990 or like 1991 or whatever. He would make a video review on his camcorder of these Turbo Graphics 16 games. Wow. So, and, uh, and, and it's like, who does that? And so far, I have two people on my list. It's you and Spider One. That's awesome. But I wonder how many other people are out there who you know, were YouTubers 25 years before YouTube existed. 
We know science and math stuff pretty well, and over the last 10 years we've seen a ton of platforms try to do STEM content right. There's a place for cool videos, it's what we try to do, but sometimes you need an efficient, well-structured course about a thing, and that's why we like Brilliant. For example, Brilliant's courses in logic and scientific thinking are a really solid way to get your mind right on the STEM subjects. And it's not homework, it's not weird, it's interactive, and you're doing it all rather than just listening to it all. And it doesn't matter what level you're at, Brilliant's got options that fit fun, serious, and everything in between. You'll probably even recognize some of Kevin's video topics in the Casino Probability module. You can get started learning on Brilliant for free, and the first 200 people to sign up through brilliant.org slash createunknown will also get 20% off an annual premium membership. Click it, check out the options, and get started, because that is free. And if you want to go premium, 20% off with Brilliant.org slash createunknown. It's the holiday season. Give the gift of brilliance, whether it's to yourself or someone else. Brilliant.org slash createunknown. Links down below. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple other people that have actually, those people tend to get in touch with me or someone who is, you know, a, a big fan of those people always get in touch with me and say, hey, check this out. So I know that there's, you know, a couple other people like that, that, that made an awful lot of content in the late 80s or, or mid 80s. Yeah. But I can't think. Of, have they uh, uploaded it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a couple people. Um, I can't remember. There's one kid who has a bunch of videos of him and his friends going into the record store and buying heavy metal albums. He's got a ton of stuff. And I mean, he's not a kid now. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then there's another guy, and I, I almost think he's in Mex. He's from Mexico, and he's got a lot of late '80s, early '90s content that he that he filmed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's a couple people, but most people were, you know, most people if they did film stuff, they just don't have the tapes anymore. You know, I hear mm -hmm. that's what I hear all the time. Oh, we lost the tape. The tape got thrown out. So. Yeah, I mean, we have tapes, but they're just like uh birthdays christmas sure. <laughs> they're just like holiday family like my dad is recording us opening up presents and, and that's the extent of it there's nothing really all that that's how my, that's it. how my dad wanted it to end up see my dad didn't want me using the camera you know the first video i made we made I, I keep trying to pick it up and he yells at me every time stop touching it <laughs> see that was his plan was that he was just going to use it for that stuff but you know i that wasn't my destiny. I, kn mm -hmm. I knew what, what had to be done. Yeah. <laughs> it, it does sound like destiny, though. Like you have some genetic component it. here because it's not like the, it's like this nature nurture thing that is like the, the endless debate. But there's a lot of nature going on here when you're collecting newspaper clippings and stuffing them in bread bags at the age of three. Like your parents didn't tell you to do that. Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I did. My grandmother cut things out of the magazines and newspapers and maybe that influenced me to do it though because oh. i do remember that interesting yeah were you were you close to her not real close um she passed away when i was six so my time with her was pretty limited and i don't you know i don't really remember her that well to be honest so hmm. i don't think i mean she watched me periodically while my mom was at work and and things like that but i don't think i got close enough to her that i have more than like 10 memories of her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, maybe she was carrying that recessive gene. <laughs> that could be. <laughs> that, <laughs> that could be. The collect collector gene. Um, are you still doing music? Because I was looking through your channel and I hadn't hadn't seen uh, any music videos. Uh, I mean, I do more music now than I ever had in my life, simply because I'm, oh, okay. I'm, I'm live streaming on Twitch twice a week. And that's what I do primarily mm -hmm. on Twitch is sing. 
So, I mean, I'm, uh, that's, that's basically doing two concerts a week, <laughs> which I've never done in my life before. Uh, but I also do this thing on my Twitch streams where whatever day it is, so today is December 7th, I would go back and find out everything I did on December 7th of every year of my life and then show it on the street, on the stream or play clips on the stream or, or whatever. I, I have, you know, I find the stuff that I say I got a, a game, a video game that day. I go, I go get the game out, show it. But I've kept journals my entire life. So I have a pretty good idea of what I did every day of my life. Mm-hmm. This this reminds me of of uh, one of the videos that I I really liked uh, that I, I it must have been a couple of years ago. Um, you made a video about all the pairs of glasses oh, yeah. that you've ever owned, right. and you you've got these little stories about about each trip to the optometrist. I mean, so it's not just here are the glasses, take a look at them. I had these in seventh grade. No, 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 no. It's like right. <laughs> well, know, that's I, the difference. Uh, um, this, yeah. Showing the glasses is not very interesting. What I've done is made content. <laughs> so you can right. sit there and show the glasses. Nobody's going right. to watch that really. Cause that's not very interesting, but I've made content out of it. So. But nobody else could. No one else could. I mean, you are nobody correct. else You're would have that correct. record. They, they really would not have this record that, that says like literally July 1st, uh, 1988, uh, at two thirty, <laughs> I went to get this day. pair of glasses and then we, we, you know, I tried to get my, my mom to stop to eat here and she wouldn't let me. And like, it's, it's that level of detail that you're just pulling this, this out from 35 years ago. And there's nothing else like it. And I remember ta- the first time I saw a video of yours that was like that, that showed that I remember sending it to Kevin and just being like, there's, there's literally nothing else like this on the internet not to this degree there's a lot of good archival stuff you know you you talk about all these people who who made good things like that back in the day and now they're doing cool stuff with it but there's nobody who's got access to that detail like you have this this library of alexandria (laughs) that you can pull any fact of your life out of on a whim so it's nuts absolutely nuts to say like in the intro that I that I put in, it's a complete coincidence that that Kevin uh, registered the Vsauce Two channel on this same day of the calendar, it and it's a complete coincidence that we happened to notice that uh, the other night when we were looking at that subscriber count. That's probably the only non Pearl Harbor December seventh <laughs> thing that that either of us could name ever, right? And. And and you very casually are like, oh, it's. I it's, could give you twenty five you know, things right now. It, exactly. Yeah, you're like, oh, April twenty second. Let me let me consult. Uh, the I just twenty five <laughs> things on December seventh. I mean, <laughs> uh, there's just nothing like it, though. And, and well, that's what makes it special. Uh, I think is, I mean, a lot. There's a lot of people doing stuff on YouTube trying to do something like that. I but I think it's the it's the personal touch. I mean there's lots of people trying to archive and show things, but I, I feel like it's the personal touch that makes the difference. You add your personal story to the thing. If you if you can do that, which I can, I feel like that makes a difference because that's the um the human connection that other people it I feel like one person's memories sparks another person's memories. You know, I feel like I'm bringing somebody else's memory back to them when they see something and they say, oh, wow, I forgot about that. You know, I think that's important because I feel like that memory is being in touch with the younger person that you used to be. You know, and I think that that's important to stay in touch with that person. Uh, um, Are these memories 
accessible to you because of the journals, because you have it written down? Or do you also have something of a photographic memory? Because I, I got to tell you, I don't remember my memory, anything. My memory is terrible, really. I mean, oh, okay. uh, I, I'm glad I have all that stuff written down. And the good thing is that a lot of times when I read something, it'll bring back a little bit more of the story that I didn't write down because I have that okay. stepping off point. Mm, but then yeah. again, there's other stuff that I wrote down. I looked back in 1984. I wrote something down. And I'm like, what in the hell does that mean? I have no idea now because it wasn't enough information. <laughs> yeah, I said, what, what were you telling, trying to it, tell it, me? I'm sure it made perfect sense What are you trying to tell time? me? Yeah, I yeah, can't like... make any sense out of that, you know? So now I, when I write at the end of the day, when I write down what happened every day, I, I, I write a little more detail about it because then I, I'll remember. I'll remember what I meant. Mm-hmm. This is uh, this is a really important thing in like general historical study, by the way, uh, that um, people look at at old documents and you're talking about something that that's in terms of history, not very old. And you yourself wrote it. So it, there's so much trust placed in something like uh, a letter or some kind of record that, you know, let's say it's 200 years ago. You know, I, I have a bunch of that stuff myself and you look at it. And you read it and you have to accept that you don't have, you really don't have any idea what those words on the page mean. And the fact that you wrote something that you were in, you were in the habit of keeping track of these things. And now a few decades later, you're unclear on, on what that thing was. What hope do you have to pull this little entry out of 1841 and have full confidence that you know what it means. I, you know, I like it when I when I, I did history stuff in the past. I'm like, you've got to be more humble about this. You've got to have that that realization, like you had, that um, this stuff is going to be imperfect. Oh yeah, uh, it's such a cool example. Yeah, that that it is fleeting, and uh, for whatever reason, you didn't include those things that you now remember. Yeah, you know, the things that you wrote down are as important as. Or the things you didn't include are as important as the things you, you did. You got to keep in mind too, and because I found this out personally, that your memory is actually quite faulty. So you might remember something from when you're younger, and you would, you know, absolutely bet money on it. Swear to God that that's when it happened, how it happened. And I've found a couple instances <laughs> instances already where my memory was completely incorrect. I was proven wrong even though I swore that I was correct about something that happened in the early 80s. So your memory is not going to be perfect. You know, there's there's details that you're going to swear you're right about, but that you know, you're going to find out that you you were not. So even that is <laughs> I wish even that's not. I perfect. wish more people understood that because that <laughs> is completely true. And it, it, it goes through like all different walks. I mean, to, to really important things, to completely trivial things. I'll right. give you a, an example of a completely trivial Please thing that, that that occurred with, with me recently um, is that uh, my sister and I uh, both are watching uh, the Great British Baking Show. And one of the co-hosts on that show is this comedian, Noel Fielding. And for some reason, I had it in my mind that Noel Fielding dated Amy Winehouse before she died. And I was, I was adamant about this. And I was like, I'm not like a, I don't follow celebrity gossip. Like I'm not interested in that. And she does. So it became this whole thing where I'm, where I am like, how do I know this, that Noel Fielding dated Amy Whitehouse and you don't, how do you not know that? I'm oh my God. I'm like a guest uh-huh. that you're so, so out of the loop on this. 
<laughs> so then I, I spend four seconds on Google and I'm like, no, fade feeling never did. Anyone else. Like, I don't even know where I got that. I completely just made it up, I guess. And I was positive that this was like there. Was, I found one article that was like they were kind of friends and would like party together ish uh. sometimes, I guess. But they weren't in a relationship. And here I was like absolutely sure that they were like engaged to be married before she she like, you know, died. And I was just completely completely wrong and i think people would be amazed at how how often that happens happens where we're like oh i definitely know xyz and then you look it up and you're like oh man yeah it does take like some level of humility at least to say (laughs) yeah i I was way off (laughs) yeah it does (laughs) yeah i was definitely wrong that's something that i don't think well you know we have pretty detailed demographics on on who listens to this podcast. We have, we have a sense of age ranges and things like that. Uh, and it's not like nobody our age listens, but the majority, the vast majority are substantially younger than us. Right. And, and I don't think a lot of people understand the way this works because they simply haven't lived long enough for this to happen. Exactly. (laughs) Like after a while, it happens a lot where you have these, these Amy Winehouse situations, you have the, you know, you've seen enough journal entries that are are different. Uh, I, I've been watching football each Sunday lately. and, And when a team is way behind and there's two minutes left frequently, they uh, the commentators will reference this game in the early 90s where the Bills scored three touchdowns in like a minute 44 and beat the Oilers. And I'm I I used to be 100 percent sure that I was watching that game on TV, that I remember it so distinctly to the point where when I go to a live sporting event, I have left once in my life before, you know, before the buzzer, before the whistle only once because I had to. I cannot bear the thought of the craziest miracle ever <laughs> happening in the last, you know, however many seconds. That's how, in, because I watched that game, that's how ingrained it is. Well, at this point, I'm slowly like each year, I lose a few percentage points of confidence in me actually having watched that game on TV. I can't verify that I did. I probably did because the bills would have been on TV in my market. You know, I was, grew up in upstate New York. Like that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, in the, in the winter I was home, I was like nine, you know, so like I, <laughs> I was doing nothing on Sunday. Um, so it, it kind of adds up, but I can't prove it. And it, it may very well be a thing that, you know, now that it's been 30 years, I might've convinced myself that I did this completely mundane thing that maybe I didn't, maybe I just saw sports center the next day. I don't know. I, I can't prove it at this mm-hmm. point. It's weirdly unsettling when you realize that that can happen. Uh, it is. You it know? is. I mean, I, you know, when I had this happen to me a couple of times recently, it, it really uh, it make, makes you doubt everything for a moment. You know? One of the things was yes. that when my family moved, we moved in 1980 to a different house because my, you know, I, my sister was born and we needed more space for the, for the family. And I remembered the morning we moved, I was watching cartoons on TV and I swore to God, that in, in August 1980, I was watching Count Ducula on TV. I was so sure of this memory in my mind that I went on social media and I said, today, so many, you know, in 1980, I watched Count Ducula for the first time. Somebody said, Paul, Count Ducula didn't exist until 1991 or something like that, 89 or 91. I was like, what? You're, you can't possibly be right. I was watching that. 
I Googled it and they were right. <laughs> then I'm trying to figure out, well, what the hell was I watching? It turns out there was a show called Quackula about another vampire duck. <laughs> and that's what I was watching. <laughs> oh my this God. This is how it works though. It's so funny it because of how absolutely perfect this example is. <laughs> you know, awesome. you do hear like uh, people say things, um, you know, so, so let's pull a, a Pittsburgh one. How many people back in the day said that they attended uh, the, the Steelers game with the Immaculate Reception. It's like 500,000 people who say that they, they went to this uh -huh. game. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, over the years, the number oh, grows. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I bet quite a lot of people who weren't there uh, have, have lied to themselves long enough <laughs> or just simply have it ingrained in a different way that, yeah, I, I was in the stands that day. Uh, it's such a strange, odd, odd, odd thing. And there's so rarely any way to prove it wrong. What I what I love about you talking about this stuff is that I can't go back to a, a journal and say, you know, and see that I saw the the bills pull a miracle. I can't do that. You can. You can verify whether this thing in your head is uh, was reality. A, a better percentage um, of the time than most, I would say. Yeah. Not not a, <laughs> not with 100% <laughs> certainty, but yeah. Yeah. No, and that's a, a it's very it's a very modern phenomenon that you could go and pull up a Facebook post from 10 years ago and see what you were doing. Exactly. Were. I always say that this uh, is the kind of stuff now that's commonplace that and making and, and photographing yourself and making a film of yourself. There's a cutoff right, point where right. you say from this point on, this is very common. There's lots of footage from this year on of people filming themselves and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but then the further back you go, the percentage gets smaller and smaller until there's none at all. <laughs> so. Do you think this is a good thing? Uh, like on the balance, on the whole, is it a good thing that we can do that with everything now? Or is it better to have to have a, a little bit of mystery? Uh, I mean, hey, one of the cool things about what we're talking about is that bad shit can disappear. <laughs> like you could have the most embarrassing thing happen to you in your life or the worst day of your life. Um, you know, you can, you can forget about things like horrible relationships in high school, just whatever it is, you can, you can forget about the bad stuff over time. Sure. You can't really outrun anything. At right. This I mean, point. you know, every, uh, every so, concert I do, you know, there's part of it or sometimes all of it on YouTube now. So, <laughs> you know, if I did, if I really mm -hmm. screwed up some song yeah. or something, everybody can see that forever now. That wasn't the way it was when I started performing live back in the early 80s. So there, there's, you know, there is that. But whether I don't know. To, is this a good thing or a bad thing? That's the thing. I mean, you know, it's the same thing with people say oh, a lot of, you know, you hear a lot of people of my generation. I'm, I'm over 50 now. People say, oh, the Internet is terrible. I'm going to go back to before the Internet. Yeah, but look at all the all the stuff that you're going to lose if you go back to when it was before the internet. Yeah, there's there's definitely things that the internet is bringing into your life, whether you even realize it or not. Some of the stuff that you wouldn't be able to go back to being without. So I mean, it's it's hard to say. There's there's good things and bad things about you know everything that changes, and it's really difficult to dissect it that closely to where you could say. We could do without this. We could do without that. If you get rid of something, you're getting rid of part of that that is something that you really 
are going to be getting a positive um, outcome from if you get rid of something with a negative income. There's still something in it that you're going to lose. That's how I feel about it anyway. So it's, it's kind of, it's very difficult to make a distinction there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, I read a few years ago a, a really moving little mini essay uh, by a woman who was describing her uh, her husband's descent into dementia. And the thing about about his case is that he was uh, I forget the details of it, but he was a wildly intelligent, um, uh, accomplished guy. And that presented a unique challenge with with his declining health because he actually had a long way to fall. <laughs> and it there's a difference between um somebody you know so for example uh finding the right word becomes increasingly difficult throughout throughout dementia well you know it's probably tougher to deal with that when you have a vocabulary of 20,000 words as opposed to 4,000 you know, so, so there are all yeah. these pluses and minuses of, yeah, I'm sure it was, you know, he had a, a, this this great life uh, uh, with with tremendous talent. But at the same time, he found uh, himself in a spot where it, it was a little bit tougher for him to deal with this thing uh, because of that. And, it, you know, I, I can't come to a, a solid conclusion on whether all of this stuff is a good thing. And I look at somebody like you and I think 30 years ago, there was no mechanism for everybody to see you. We never would have known, right. people like Kevin and I never would have known that you existed. Maybe, maybe we would have a friend in Pittsburgh, which is a quirk because we're pretty much Northeast New England type people. Mm-hmm. So it's a little more plausible. If we lived in Scottsdale, Arizona, we'd be less likely to have a friend in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, maybe we knew somebody who's like, yeah, there's this cool local musician who's been doing things for a while and you, you, you hear about it. But what are the odds of that? Right. You know, one in a gazillion. Now, uh, the, <laughs> the YouTube algorithm, which we, we both praise and, uh, and, you know, poop on, depending on the day. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it runs our lives and it's a harsh mistress. It, but, but it brought you to me. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks That's to your exactly ex. what it's designed to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> just because you use the word hall just because you were so clear yeah about well i was a, a, see a i hall. was so um you know there was a time there you know when i was working on youtube when i was very very i mean i tagged this stuff i'd spend an hour figuring out what tags i was going to use i was you know now youtube is saying the tags don't even matter anymore is what they, they say when i go down yeah. to tag it it's just tags are aren't very useful actually unless something's being spelled wrong in your title or something like that. So I just like, whatever. But yeah, I mean, there came a point where I was just like, okay, I'm really not getting anywhere here with this. And I'm, so I'm not going to keep working on trying to tag it so much like this. It doesn't seem to be making any difference for a while there. I was really, that really got stuff seen. I felt like all that work I put into it, Mm -hmm. you know, some people say, Oh, you're just making a video, put it on YouTube. No, I, I, you know, I mean, you know, you spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to get your stuff seen. And, um, yeah, like you said, Back then, there was nothing, no way to 
get in touch with people and see uh, that's really for me it's very deeply rooted because in the late 80s early 90s that's when i started my music career and so i already i had an album come out in 91 that was actually available all over the world because it was on a uh indie label and that was the thing was how do you get people to find out about your music back then unless you were big enough to get it in some major airplay or something or you could get a video on mtv you know there wasn't much hope right. you could tour around the country and, and find little pockets of uh, insane people here and there that would come and see you you know that, that would think you were cool <laughs> or whatever but you know it was just <laughs> that's what it was it was like how do i get this out to people now the internet is the way, the gateway to, to everyone. So, you know, I wouldn't want to leave that behind. I wouldn't want to say that's a bad thing that everybody can see everything now because no one would ever be able to see me. This reminds me of of you detailing uh, your, your attempts to get stuff out, like when you were real young. Uh, you did a submission to Dr. Demento, that's didn't right. you? That's right. And, and I, I feel like Dr. Demento wrote a letter back. Am I, is this an invented memory? That's now true. you've got me. <laughs> You've got me second guessing every weird Paul memory I have. I think I'm just making up it's everything. You are no, no. I did. I got. I did, I did get that letter yeah, from Doctor Demento. But so you were trying. What year was that? That was roughly? 1987. Okay. Yeah. So you were you were uh, at that point thinking I got to do what I can to get my stuff out here because otherwise I'm in a living room in Pittsburgh and and there aren't very many people to hear me in this. Yeah. Room. I mean, I was trying. I mean, you know, the, I sent my tapes to the local college stations and stuff like that. They started playing them. But mm -hmm. to some degree, I mean, the Dr. Demento thing wasn't really like that. This is really funny, actually. I think you'll find this humorous. I saw Dr. Demento in the early 80s on this TV show called Real People. It was um, sort of a, almost like a reality show or a thing. Maybe you've heard of That's Incredible. So it was similar to that. They would they would find interesting people with interesting stories around the country. And then they, you know, they fly out to where they were and interview them and show them on this show. It was a network TV show. So Dr. Demento was one of the people that they featured on the show, real people. And they, they went into his house. Can you say what he does? Oh, okay. Because like 80% of the people who will hear this episode are <laughs> sure. fetuses. Doctor They're fetuses and they don't understand. <laughs> I gotcha. I understand what you're saying. Dr. Demento uh, was a DJ whose show was heard around the country on various radio stations who played mostly comedy music. And he was the guy that um, discovered Weird Al. That's how Weird Al became popular and famous, because Dr. Demento started playing Weird Al's music. But he was hugely influential because you're not the first person to bring him up. Rusty Cage uh, talked about about Dr. Demento. I mean, he's he's that that sort of George Washington figure of, of well, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's a reason for that. It's because mostly you put the radio on back then. And this is how you were able to listen to music. There's no Spotify. There's no YouTube. You can't go and listen to whatever song you want to listen to at any time unless you own the album. All right. You can't just go and listen to what you want. You put the radio on whatever they play. That's what you're going to listen to. You don't have any choice in the matter. But you're listening to the same music pretty much every day that these radio stations are playing. But when you put Dr. Demento on, he's going to play some stuff you've never heard before. Even he's going to play some stuff that you're never going to hear anywhere else because it doesn't even exist anywhere else. He, he's the only one that has it. So that was what was special about Dr. Demento and why people, everybody, you know, who was, wanted to hear something different would make sure they tuned into his show every week. So anyway, back to the story. They went to his house to interview him and they went to his house and they showed his record collection. And he said that he had a copy of every record ever released. Now, whether that was 
absolutely true that he actually owned every <laughs> album. I don't know. But I guess any album that come out, he would get a copy of it, automatically get a copy and put it in his collection. So after I saw that show, years later, I put out my first album on cassette by myself. I self-released it. I said, well, if he's got every album, he's got to have a copy of this. That's what I said, because I maintained that my music was real. My music was just as important as anybody else putting out music right then, whether it was Bruce Springsteen or U2 or whoever it was. My music was just as important as theirs. It was real music and it existed in the same time. And I was I was their contemporary. So Dr. Demento had their albums. He should have mine, too. That's why I sent my album to Dr. Demento, not because I was expecting him to play it necessarily, but because I wanted to make sure he had a copy for his collection. <laughs> because he was a collector that's, that's awesome the, that's the archivist right. isn't it yeah um i really wanted to bring up something before i forget that you mentioned earlier because it's something i think about a lot that i don't think we've ever talked about too much on this podcast that i really want people to understand and that is the internet actually doesn't have that much stuff on it <laughs> Like you have to bring things to the internet and there's a lot of things available in the whole history of the world that you could bring to the internet if you were so inclined uh, to do the work. Because I get asked constantly where the, the, the topics for Vsauce 2 come from. Like where do you, where do you find these math games or these paradoxes or these stories or whatever? Like I've never heard of this stuff. It's like, Here's the secret. They're called books. <laughs> <laughs> like they're these things that were printed on pieces of paper with words and Shh, ink. Don't tell anybody. That, uh, exist, existed for hundreds of years. Um, there are a lot of those and no one is reading them. So uh, there is kind of like a lot you can do with just going through books deciding what's interesting and bringing that to the internet that's a wide open market that not a lot of people are tapping into yeah. and it doesn't have to be math it doesn't have to be toys from you know 1982 it can be whatever like people just have this in their brain that everything is already on the internet and i need to really assure isn't. our listeners that barely anything is on the internet barely anything in the scope of things it is not much right <laughs> and i think that there's nowhere no, that's absolutely uh, true nowhere yeah. sooner to start than wikipedia i mean Wiki everybody thinks wikipedia is the be all end all to everything that all the information that ever existed is on wikipedia no way there's you know wikipedia is very um limited as to what they, they'll even allow on there. It has to, this is the, the, the catch 22 about Wikipedia is there, they want there to be places you can reference the thing that you're trying to make an article about on Wikipedia. But if you can't reference the thing online because it doesn't exist online yet, there's no way you can make a Wikipedia article about it. So, mm -hmm. so the, <laughs> no, I, that, that's a, a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about that with some of the, some of the really niche yeah. stuff that it has to exist somewhere for it to exist on Wikipedia. And if it as doesn't... As far as Wikipedia is concerned, if it doesn't <laughs> then, exist online, it doesn't do? exist. Yeah, yeah. No, there really is a tremendous amount of stuff, though, that is that is not online in any capacity. Yeah. You know, I was talking about some of the, the very old documents. Um, I came across something that, you know, super obscure uh, that that I saw in a handwritten document that that isn't available online anywhere. It's just a little thing about, you know, this happened on a certain date. 
Well, it should be one of those things that's extremely easy to look up because all all dates have been archived, you know, in every history topic and this and that. But um, this one wasn't. I'm like, well, how would anybody know? Well, they, they, they wouldn't know if they were online. And the massive confidence that people have that they can uh, learn about a thing in full uh, is is nuts. And, and it brings me back to the thing that, that you said, the Michael J. Fox show. We've actually talked. This was like 60 episodes ago. It was forever ago. Kevin went on this uh, segment slash rant about America's Funniest Home Videos and what uh, what its legacy was and how modern content is is like it a little bit. And then here you bring up this thing about a topic that both of us have thought about quite a lot over the years, and we did not even know it existed. I mean, that's crazy. And that is something that's online. We could have known. So you've it's got on the IMDb where... and it's on YouTube. But that's again, it's buried. Look how much content there is on both of those websites. So that's where I was going is that there's all this stuff that's not online and who knows how much that is. And then there's so much stuff that is online that it's perfectly plausible that you can have something with a couple of superstars at the time doing a thing in a topic you're totally interested in and not know it exists. That's 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 strange <laughs> that both of these things are happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But you know, we have a lot of listeners who are interested in in making YouTube content and we try to to give as much advice in one way or another and, and to hone kind of like their enthusiasm for things. But the whole like bring things that aren't online online thing, I think, is an untapped bit of a little bit of wisdom. I hope that that somebody, you know, you know, I mean, Matt touched on it a little bit with like the obsession thing, like whatever you're obsessed with. Mm-hmm. Um, just share it. And that's that, that it like, you know, really kind of exempt, you exemplify that to a T Paul is all of your passion you share with everyone. Uh, but at the same time, I really like what you'd mentioned about just like, you can't find this thing that you have literally on a shelf behind you online. So you're going to put it on there for people to see. And I think that there is probably an endless, endless amount of that stuff that people all around the world can make content about that you know, wouldn't be, it's not like you got to make a short film or an animation or even a music video, which is a lot of work. It's like, why don't you just talk about this stuff in your basement? <laughs> like, you know what I yeah. mean? That's, that can be interesting. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, so, um, but I did want to, um, ask you also before, like we, we end up going to questions or anything. I still have my own questions and one is about the documentary uh-huh. because, yeah, like Matt was right, you know, as that, soon yeah. as that dropped, we both I just wanted it. to point out real quick, and too, that the version that you saw uh, has been replaced. That's not around anymore. So now there's well, a has. director's cut on Amazon, which is actually uh, considerably longer than the one that you saw. It, this one's like 101 oh. minutes. And actually, even some of those 101 minutes are not the same footage that was in the shorter version. So it's actually the new footage is even longer than that. Uh, so in case you want to check that out. That was going to be a question I had because you can't stream it on Amazon Prime anymore. So you're saying that the one that they're the, the physical copy, the physical DVD you can purchase is actually different? No, what I'm saying is that there is on Amazon now the director's cut. It, you can't you, oh, you can't watch that okay. one. It's not available anymore. But if you 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 may have to type in director's cut after the Wilt words World War for views oh, and then God. that one will come up. Oh, okay. we'll pop that in the de- in the description for this. Um uh, were you 
were you happy with how that turned out? Because I, I every time I watch something that is really about one person, where it shows all different facets of their life and what they do. And the documentary did a good job of showing the things that were going well, the things that weren't going well. It was very realistic. And that's, that's, ah, I, I so distinctly remember telling Kevin about this, like, Hey, somebody just, just really captured, uh, the ups and downs of the grind on this, on the YouTube stuff. Uh, there hasn't been anything like this yet, but when it's about the one person, I always think, well, did they feel like, were they, were they happy with it? Uh, did they feel like it was uh, the representation that that they would have made of themselves? Well, when someone else is in charge of the, the of the the story, and someone else is going to uh-huh. put their spin on it, they're going to make it their way. They're going to tell the story the way that they decide to tell it. Then it's never going to be one hundred percent what you would have shown. And whether that's good or bad, if you were in charge of your own story, perhaps. You know, it, it maybe it would have been inferior in some people's minds. I don't know. But since I didn't direct the movie and I didn't produce the movie, there's going to be times when I say, oh, I would have done that differently, you know. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I mean, I, I went through with it. They When they asked if I was interested in they, there being this documentary about me, I said, absolutely, because I needed there to be another way for me to get through to people to to you know, but so I get more people to find out what I was doing because, you know, it's been a, you know, it's an uphill struggle trying to find your audience on the internet because I'm not going to appeal to everyone that's uh, out there. Uh, it's, it, there's, a, I, have a, I have a niche audience, so I need to find those people. And that's another thing that I could use was to have somebody help tell my story so that people would find it. So yeah, I, 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 there's no way I would ever say that it was a negative thing, you know. The, the story the, the story the way it is it's it's great um well people did like it i mean the reviews are uh, you know I, I think amazon does half stars they don't have points very often i don't think it's like 4.6 stars with 70 some reviews i mean it's a lot of my fans it's a substantial uh, number of people saying it's good for sure so that's great yeah um no it, it really was was quite well, good uh and i i'm surprised there haven't been more like it yeah uh more documentary looks uh, with with all the different people who who are on this platform um you know they they do this stuff like uh, like I, there's some youtube originals i think that that take the hyper popular influencer types and and follow them around a yeah. bit. but but i don't actually want to see them i don't care <laughs> at all about some 17 year old who who is charming on camera for 10 seconds. I don't care. I want to see people well, like I, you. I, uh, and I want to see people I, like I, Kevin. I feel like I'm very honest about myself and I'm, I, I don't try to hide behind anything. And I feel like a lot of people just, you have to be very, very comfortable with yourself and you have to have a lot of courage uh, to just let yourself be out there in front of everybody to just see you as you are. And not everyone, even people who are used to being in front of a camera and they, and they make videos all the time, not all of them still would have the courage to just say, come on in to my private life, come on into my house, follow me around, see what I'm doing, see, see what the hard yeah. part of this is, see, see how heartbreaking this is sometimes, you know, see, see how hard life can be. And, um, you know, it's not, you just watch me on YouTube sometimes, you know, think, oh boy, he's just, he's having a great time every day. You know, that's not really the reality of the situation though, not to bring everybody down, of course, but, you know, that's, that's what it comes down to. Not, I don't feel like a lot of creators would be okay with that. Like to say, we want to make this documentary, but you, you have to let us 
really show the real you. No, no, I can't. I can't let you do that. You know, because I'm not even giving everybody my real face when I'm making the content. I'm kind of putting on a little show. I'm be. I'm trying to be someone else. So I can't let you show me how I really am. You know, that's what I think it comes down to. Mm -hmm. I think that I think that the higher percentage of, of creators just wouldn't be comfortable with it. Can, can I just jump in real quick because you are so much more right than you have any idea because because of <laughs> because of this Paul let me explain to you so on on one hand you literally let more or less strangers into your life to make a movie about your life okay that's like one end of the spectrum <laughs> At the on the other side of the spectrum, there are a lot of YouTubers who won't even do our podcast because they don't want to like lift the veil on their persona of who they are on YouTube, even to the degree of having a conversation. Right. Okay. Yes. Like that is very, very real. This is not like one or two people. This is a lot no, of YouTubers are lot. seriously uncomfortable with with even just talking uh, publicly like this uh, without knowing uh, that they're going to be funny or they're going to be interesting or they're going to, oh, oh, I said something dumb and I don't know if these guys will edit it out. Like that amount of anxiety <laughs> is way, 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 way too much for them to handle. And then meanwhile, you have people who you like don't know really following you around with the camera. I mean, that is extreme. And I, and I will say that it, that does take a lot of, of bravery on your part uh, to put up with that, man. Like, like, I'll tell you, I don't know that I could. I don't know. Maybe, but I don't know. I don't know that, that I would be comfortable with that. Like, that is um, a pretty remarkable thing. I bang this drum all the time that Matt was banging earlier about how I want to see more documentaries about YouTubers. I wish that my whole big thing is take the the money that you threw away each year on YouTube Rewind and invest that into YouTube Docs and give me like, you know, five documentaries a year on like a wide range of different creators with different struggles and different backgrounds and make different content. Like that's yeah. what I want to see. Um, but uh, that's that's what I selfishly want to see. At the same time, it's like how many people are willing to go out even on that limb and open up their doors and their homes uh, for, you know, potentially millions of strangers to peer in with their, which you wouldn't think would be a problem because quote unquote, they do that anyway, but quote yeah. unquote, no, they don't like it's highly this curated. It's highly edited. It's highly controlled, yeah. obsessively yeah. controlled sure. by these creators. Oh, yes. Absolutely. And yes. a documentary is the freaking opposite. Yeah. Of there's that. no control. That's, what, no that's control. what it is. I have to, you have to relinquish that. And I, you know, I, I, that I, I, it, it was a little scary. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just like, there was a point in that movie yeah. when they were filming that movie that I just broke down sobbing. I was just crying and crying. And I, I, after we filmed it, I was like, oh man, I, I'm really, I don't know how, how that's going to look when they put that in there. They actually didn't use it. I think that they even were a little bit, uh, you know, I think they felt a little uncomfortable about it, so they didn't use it. It was a little too much and <laughs> a little too yeah. raw. That's the reality though. And, and it really was a good blend of of uh, seeing all the facets of that reality. And and it, like Kevin mentioned, we he has talked about it in the past that this would be a great thing for people to see. Uh, and I I do hope that, that more people do it. I hope that more people do a little bit of what you're doing. I know that 
that you can't you can't make a weird poll overnight. It doesn't happen. <laughs> it's that blend of a very certain personality that's comfortable with certain things, that's interested in certain things that that comes to be somebody like you. Uh, but I do think that a lot of other people can take uh, take a lesson from it in the sense that it's OK to show yourself online and that's content. what I it's believe okay is to that talk about there needs to be yeah. more of that there needs to be more people and you see a lot of people starting out and they're just they either you know they start doing the screaming thing or you know the, whatever but I mean you just <laughs> really just be yourself you really need to put forward your own personality into it and people are going to realize that they're going to see the realness in the, that and that's what's going to attract people to, to watch what, you, what you're making uh, well, I think that's the quote we'll open the episode with and we need to, <laughs> I love it, but we got to, we got questions and I don't want to, we do I know, have questions. I know we they're piling up, oh, so we have to get to okay. those. Uh, so the first two are from me because when you do a podcast, you get to push everybody <laughs> to the back of the I line. love it. Um, it, it they're, <laughs> they're both things that I forgot to ask you and I, I just cannot, I cannot stop recording with you and not have these on. The first one is... Uh, I mentioned that that your stuff has a lo-fi feel. We didn't even get into your process of editing videos and uh, yeah, making the content without, days, so, yeah. you know, it, yeah, <laughs> it, there's a lot, a lot going on there and it's fascinating detail. But the question I want to ask about it is you started at an era where you, you were talking about recording on eight tracks and now it's it's relatively cheap to have like film studio quality oh, equipment yeah. in your hands, right? But you didn't do that. You've stuck with, for decades now, you've stuck with roughly the same approach with all of that. Most people who make content, they want the next best thing. They want the thing that's going to look better, sound better. There's a constant need to do what they consider to be uh, improvement. But you've been completely comfortable with doing everything in a lo-fi style this whole time. And I assume... It's probably not going to change in coming decades. How how did you arrive at that and stick well, with it? Well, that's a very simple question to answer. So a lot of people think that lo-fi is just a genre uh, that you would choose to use, whether it's in sound quality or video quality or whatever. But for me, lo-fi is a lifestyle because if you don't have any money, <laughs> you you have to use what you can afford. And I could not afford any a new computer. I could not afford any kind of HD camera. I had to use what I already had in my hand here when I got onto YouTube. And all I had was the camera that I was used to using, the kind of camera I've been using my whole life, which is just a regular old camcorder analog style. It's what I had to use. So I'm going to use it. That, that's the answer to the question. It was because of necessity that I started doing that. And what I found out, of course, was that that was what made what I do special. It gave it that extra little specialness, that extra sort of human humanness to it, that it, 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 it is not like everything else. And it doesn't look as, I feel it doesn't look as, what is the word I'm looking for? It doesn't look as um, sterile. It doesn't look as sterile as everything else. Mm. And that applies to music these days yeah. too. I feel like everything just has this very sterile sound and visual to it. And, and I, I, I want to move away from that. I want things to, to feel a little more inviting and, and uh, not so uh, bland isn't the word, but sterile. Just it's like, you know, it's you, you're, you're, you're there's a separation between you and it. It has this very sterileness to it. Yeah, it's not cozy. Yeah. 
I like that. Well, the, the second question I had is a, a much simpler, much simpler one. Tragedy strikes. I don't know what this tragedy is. Let's just call it Armageddon. Okay. Uh, but it happens. You've got to run away from your house. You can only carry one think about thing this all the out time. of everything that you've collected. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you would have an answer. I, I really hoped you would have an answer, but you, you can do one thing, take it with you. What's that? What's that one thing going to be? Uh, well, I mean, if, if by one thing you mean actually only one object and that's, that's, one, that's more difficult, but one, I, uh, one object or one right, collection that's, that's of objects. So for example, well, see, if there's always, like a binder of something, you can take right, the whole so binder. I've always narrowed it down to either my journals <laughs> or the original VHS tapes of the home movies that I made in the eighties. And I, I'm not a hundred percent sure what I would actually grab, what I should go for. It might be what I'm the nearest to. I don't know. But the thing is, a lot of those tapes have been digitized. Not all of them, but a lot of them have. And right. so that stuff does sort of still exist in, in a way, but the journals don't. And that is so much, I would need that to write the, the book about my life. I would need those. <laughs> so. Well, this, this goes, this elides into the first, the first question here from Charles Kahn, which is how you feel about digital archives versus physical media. He says reading a, a book or a comic book on a screen doesn't feel the same to me. Uh, I think of what you just said about about these tapes, about the journals, you could totally digitize both of those things, but it, but it probably wouldn't be the same. So how do you land on that digital archive versus actual thing? Debate? Well, I, I've always want to have something. If it's a movie that I can easily go and watch, I'd still really like to have the DVD. I, I, I like having things that I can hold, that I can look at. I, 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 can, I, I feel like I appreciate something more if it's in my hand and I have this kind of a connection with it, which is not the same connection that you get from looking at something on a screen. That's how I feel about it. Plus you never know what, what China's going to alter. <laughs> this, I see this on Twitter about seven times a day. Somebody seven saying, Hey, buy a uh, minimum of seven times a day. And uh, you know, I say China, but it's, it's really, a lot of a lot of networks. I know HBO has scrubbed a few things yeah. and, you know, certain bits of comedy have gone out of fashion and you can't stream some of those shows at all yeah. anymore. And some of what you see has been altered. So there's there's increasingly an argument for the value of having the thing in the form that you want. it. Well, to yeah, be I in. feel like it's all up to the person. You know, I think that there's a lot of people who there's something they want to see and it's suddenly not online anymore. Netflix gets rid of it or whatever, what have you. Well, they're going to be a little disappointed, but they're going to move on. They're going to find something else, you know, whereas if it were me, I'm glad I have a copy of it here at home because I can put it on anytime I want. Well, the next one is from Monaghan. It's a little bit, a little bit frivolous, but I actually had the same question. Uh, he says, why weird when peculiar Paul Petrosky is just sitting right there? His real question is, did you choose the, the weird Paul nickname or was it given to you? Uh, well, this is funny. Uh, I, I became known as Weird Paul back when I was in high school because I was the biggest Weird Al Yankovic fan in my school. When I started oh. recording tapes and passing around my school, I was calling myself Weird Paul. because That's what everybody called me. But when I decided I was going to start releasing music, and I was still in high school at that time, I decided to call myself Off the Wall Paul. I really liked how that sounded. I had a really good ring to it, and I, I felt like it was my own little name. And then Van sued you the into problem oblivion. Was, yeah. The problem was, 
that uh, by then it was too late. Everybody was calling me weird, Paul. And just because you decide you're going to shift something doesn't mean that all of your friends and radio DJs and concert promoters are going to shift away and start calling this new thing. I mean, I yeah. even Prince couldn't be called that unpronounceable symbol. I had to keep calling him Prince. So, <laughs> you know, that's just the way it goes. You got to, I always tell everybody this, if you're just starting out, be careful what name you pick because you're going to get stuck with that name no matter what. No, the, or, or else you end up being the artist formerly known as Weird Paul. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever have, did you ever have any nickname like that, Kevin? I can't recall one. N no, no. But, I, but I also, you know, I wasn't making music and passing it around the, the, the hallway. So I, I didn't have a moniker. I didn't have a reason for a moniker. So I didn't have one. This comes up with Michael though, at, at events, uh, when, when it's a panel of you and Michael and Jake, somebody always asks, uh, the, the origin of the name Vsauce and there's this subtext to it. That's like, are you happy you chose it? Would you have chosen something else? You know, there's that feeling. Um, yeah, I mean, is it Paul? Is it possible to to come up with with one name that that you're pretty confident you're going to be happy with forever, or do you just do the best you can? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess there's maybe some people that whatever they chose, they you know, they're they're it's just the right name. There's there's probably some musicians out there that are like, yep, this is great. I got the right thing. I think that's a pretty small percentage of the time. I think there's a lot of people that wish they had thought it through a little better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, German just says thoughts on Tom Lehrer. And for the people who don't know Tom Lehrer, I mean, he was before all of our eras. Uh, Google him. Boy, his songs are funny. He played the piano, sang songs. Check out a couple Tom Lehrer songs. Uh, but uh, Paul, was he an influence on you Absolutely. at all? Absolutely. You I mean, you're not into you're going stuff? back here to the electric company in Sesame street on PBS. When I was a kid, that's, those were the kids educational shows. And Tom Lehrer had a couple songs, uh, that he wrote for the electric company. So I, I grew up hearing those all the time. I didn't know that. And you know, I didn't make the connection that it was Tom Lehrer until much later when I started listening to the Dr. Demento show on the radio, because Dr. Demento played Tom Lehrer all the time. So when I, be, you know, when I got older and I started performing out in shows, I used to cover Tom Lehrer songs at my concerts sometimes. Um, the great thing about Tom Lehrer now, of course, is that he has put all of his music um, online for free, uh, public domain. He's made all of his work public domain. He's still still even wow. alive. He's still, and he's still alive. alive. And, and that yeah. is like the most selfless, like coolest thing that somebody could do. You know, <laughs> so, that is that's amazing. What's your favorite? My Tom favorite Lehrer song. Tom Lehrer song. Do you have one? Is the song L.Y. That, that's one of the songs that was on Electric Company. It was about putting the letters L.Y. at the end of a word to change the meaning of the word. And, and it's a really great song. Well, ridiculously witty. Are you a fan of his, Kevin? Um, I didn't listen to him much growing up. I think I would be if I did, uh, but it wasn't part of my upbringing. So I missed out on yeah, that. Not mine either. I, I didn't hit any of that until I was like 21. Mm -hmm. Sucked. I should have gotten it at seven. Uh, so Dan the Latch, um, let's see which one we want to go with first on this. Actually, uh, let's go technical. What's the process that you use for archiving VHSs? Uh, I just have a, a DV converter. It's a little box and you plug RCA cables or S video into one side of it. And then the other side of it plugs into a port in your laptop. Okay. So you just import the tape and you, you have to use uh, some sort of an app. I use iMovie to do it. Uh, I'm sure that 
There are settings that I don't have perfectly correct. I've managed to tweak it a little and make it look better than it used to be back when I first started uploading stuff to YouTube. But, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not really good with technical stuff. So I'm sure somebody could come over and say, oh, yeah, here you go. This is going to be great and fix it up for me. But I do my best. Well, I, I hope that it's 100 percent complete. And there's this horrible nuclear situation where the only thing that survives <laughs> is your entire archives. And so when when somebody lands on Earth and they're like, oh, who lived here? What was that like? All they have is the Weird Paul archive. That's it. Their entire <laughs> understanding of humanity is just all of your converted VHS tapes. Yeah. Talk about a very Perfect. narrow, uh, <laughs> narrow scope of humanity, man. Jeez, that'd be bad. Uh, <laughs> Well, this question is 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 mildly racist toward Pittsburghers. Okay. Uh, this is from a New Jerseyite who wants to know what it's like living in a place plagued by sheets and deprived of the holy light of Wawa. And for our international uh, listeners, these are convenience stores that are famously regional. <laughs> uh, I I don't are you a sheets really, fan? You no, know, I don't really go to sheets. I don't really use sheets for, for anything. If I'm on a road trip or something and I need something to eat really badly and maybe i'll stop there and get something to eat but i no, i don't that sheets is not a we actually didn't here where i live in the south hills of pittsburgh we didn't even have sheets until just within the last three years so it's it's not really been part wow. of my life i've spent you know almost 50 years without sheets so <laughs> sheetless <laughs> sheetless not, not really something i care about <laughs> <laughs> don't people talk about their pizza being really good? Am I making that up? I don't know. I don't even think they have I, pizza. I, I, I think you are making that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Something. Yeah. No, I, I haven't had it either. Uh, well, it, Charles <laughs> Charles says in the episode chat, 100% Tabor made that up. Um, he also asks, favorite of all time, favorite parody song. You got to choose one. Oh, so you have two hands. One hand can take... Uh, the item that you want the most, the other can take a recording of one parody song. What's in that hand? <laughs> I mean, if I don't pick Weird Al, if I don't pick something by Weird Al, I mean, that'd be the easiest thing to do. Then I will just go with um, yeah. Marty Feldman Eyes by Bruce Babyman Bomb. Another, and if you haven't heard that, well, you got to go watch that music video right away. I'm not kidding. Go to YouTube, watch the music video for it. And that's from the early 80s, too. Uh, Marty, Feldman Marty Feldman Eyes, nice. parody of Betty Davis Eyes by uh, Bruce Babyman Bomb. Yeah, you got to check that out. Now, from the title was it Marty Feldman Igor from uh, the, uh, Mel Blanc's... Uh, from a Young Frankenstein. That's, a Young that's Frankenstein correct. film? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for those just listening on audio, he has very big bulging <laughs> eyes. And his name was literally Igor instead of Igor. Uh, the Mel Blanc parody of uh, Frankenstein. Uh, I haven't heard that I, song, but uh, it's in the episode chat good. now. I'll definitely have to it check is. that we out. Should, we should pop that in the, uh, in the description on, on this. Uh, I want to throw a quick addendum on this because we asked last week, we, we asked your movie sucks. We asked Adam um, if, if there was one uh, indie film that would get somebody who's not familiar at all with indie films into the genre, what would you suggest to them? I want to do that with you with parody songs. Nobody imagine you meet somebody who has never heard a humorous song in their lives. What's the first song you would play them 
to introduce them to the genre of parody well, that's songs? a good question there because it would have to be something here's the problem with parody songs if you're not already familiar with the original it's not going to do you mm. any good and i speak that from experience because it got to a point where weird al was starting to parody songs that i hadn't heard all right, because he's parodying songs okay. that I don't listen to pop radio anymore at my age. So I, he was parodying songs that I'd never even yeah. heard. Some of them I'd heard, but not all of them. And so you're, there's part of the humor is lost. It's still funny because the lyrics mm -hmm. are funny, but part of the humor is lost because you don't know the original melody and, and how, it, how mm -hmm. it works with the lyrics. So that's, that's the issue here with what you're talking about. So it either would have to be something recent if they were going to be a younger person, or would it have to be something that is so common that most people in the world know it? It would have to be like a nursery rhyme or a Christmas carol. That's, mm. that's what it comes down to. So um, that's, that's what makes that tough. I don't even know like what, what recent parodies have even been recorded. That's the thing now is that as soon as any song comes out, it's immediately being parodied by somebody on YouTube. Any, any song that's a hit. Yeah, but I, I will say the Christmas song thing is funny because that's probably the first parody song that I ever huh. knew was, of course, Jingle Bells, Batman there Smells, Robin Laid an yes. Egg. Absolutely. <laughs> Batmobile lost a wheel and the Joker Even got in the away. mid-70s, that was probably that was the first going, going song around ever. my school. All right. So you've got a point. I wonder if kids still sing that that's, song. We all, you can, oh, I'll tell you what, what, what it should be. It should be Fart Loose. That's what it there should be. Go. That's what it should be. Fartless. The whole fartless phenomenon has yeah. blows my mind because I made that almost seven years ago on Vine. Vine died. That's it. Okay. I'm never going to hear about that again. I'm never going to see it again. No one's ever going to see it again. Nobody's going to care. All of a sudden, it's everywhere. And I'm trying to figure it out. Why? Do people... It's because now Fartless is this musical that everybody knows because schools do it and the remake was made and all this stuff. Now it's it's cool again so now it came back and everybody all the young people love it because it's disgusting and it's about something they know they can make the connection perfect example of what i was talking about with the parody having to be something that people can reference i do want to see a reaction video of somebody hearing the fart loose clip for the first time but they have no idea what footloose is. <laughs> They've never heard the song. <laughs> they have no context at all. I want to see uh, that face. That would be great. <laughs> well, hey, people send you things in the mail, and Jeff asks about that. What is the favorite thing you've ever received in fan mail? Wow. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of really cool stuff. People have sent me stuff that I've wanted since I was a kid, you know, that's, that always gets me really excited, you know, when it's like old retro stuff from the late seventies or early eighties that I just couldn't get when I was young. Um, what I, what I really love is when people send me, uh, stuff, they drew, 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 draw pictures of me. Some people have sent me paintings of me, you know, that, that's the kind of thing I really love because they, it really like speaks to me that they, I inspired them. It was, it was absolutely me that inspired them to make that object and, and send it to me. I inspired them to create it. That it means so much more to me. That's awesome. And this, this last question is, is such a hard one because we've talked about you starting by recording on eight tracks and then you're playing around with cassettes and then you get a video camera and then you're recording albums. Uh, and then, uh, eventually you go from live shows to, uh, making YouTube videos and music videos. 
when I started watching you, you weren't streaming. Well, now you're streaming, what, what did you say, a couple hours twice a week? About eight hours a week. Uh, yeah. This progression, eight hours a week, that, that's, a, that's a lot yeah. of live streaming. Uh, this progression has been a, a, an over 40-year yeah. thing since you started Absolutely. on the 8-track, since you stuffed little clippings into bread bags and it turned yeah. into a thing. Uh, the, the question, though, is after all of that, what is next for Weird Paul? Well, that's really the thing. I never know what is next. I, I didn't think I'd be live streaming until last year. That didn't seem like something that I would really be able to do. I didn't have any experience doing it. Now it's second nature to me and I'm, it's what I do the most. So it's, I, I just don't know. It's just that I try to adopt whatever is becoming the new interesting thing. I, I feel like a lot of people, you know, who are as old as I am in my generation, they don't want much to do with the internet, you know, or they're hesitant to try new things. But I, I you got to stay relevant in order. That's the the secret weapon of of the younger people. I think is they always are able to try to stay relevant with what's changing. And you got to work a little harder if you're as old as I am to try to stay relevant. But, but that's what that's what it, it comes down to. And to stay retro and relevant at the same time is even more of a challenge. <laughs> that's, that's the balance, isn't it? <laughs> Well, uh, Paul, it was it was a pleasure to have you on. I want to make sure that everybody knows where to find you. You can check out your Twitch, where you're streaming every week, uh, the the YouTube channel, of course, which has that has more content than <laughs> I think. Oh. If you if you or if you're just so learning much. who Weird Paul is, you have your work cut out for you. There's so much stuff up there, and then also the director's cut of Will Work for Views, the Lo-Fi Life of Weird Paul. You can also watch that documentary but um I, this was great this the, paul you exemplify oh, make something so mean something <laughs> i mean you are yes. make something mean something yes. that's our motto here at the create unknown and you've been doing it longer than anybody that certainly we've talked to and maybe ever i don't will. feel so, alive uh, thanks again so much i'm, I'm doing it <laughs> thank you so much for having me on i really appreciate oh. that boy that's the line we need in the intro too i don't feel alive unless i'm doing it that's oh, right. that's good. We'll kick it off that with good. that. Um, we have uh, next week, everyone, we have uh, Matt Watson. So be sure to stick around for that. We'll be back on our wen regular Wednesday TCU night. Until then, we'll see you, Space Cowboys. Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. We make this show with the support of our patrons. 100% goes directly to keeping episodes going every week. Thank you to the Tots and Dumpster crew who save tiny little lives every month. And thank you to our grizzled, battle-hardened child infantry. Jen Mafasanti, Kevin Menard, Mikhail Steinke, Risebred, Sean Malone, Triple Question Mark, Ryan, Kamikaze, Maria, Marco, Sheep, Tom Videogre, Jelksies, and Dan the Latch. And a tremendous shout-out to our elite baby gang commanders. Linus and Trev's Dead, Boromir, Bot Dogs, Chinchilla, Isaac, Conrad, James, Andrew, Jeff Davis, Patrick Pister, Baseweight, Monahim, Dojangles, and Zero. Again, you are the elite. Thank you as well to our indentured servants, producer-editor Ben Webster and producer Dan Yosua. And thanks to Baseweight for use of the Created in the Unknown song for our opening theme, and to Electro Voice for giving us mics to sound good on top of it. The Create Unknown is an unknown media production in partnership with Studio 71.